freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> oh yeah, good morning everybody. Hello. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. SeattleSports.com, Seattle Sports app, podcast platforms. The world does seem to be a little bit shinier, a little bit uh, brighter when the Mariners go on a little win streak like they have over the course of the last week. They extend that streak to now six games. How about that? How about it? The run is here. The run we've been just sort of waiting on. I, I made the blackjack comp yesterday. And I, I really been thinking more about it last night. And, and I love blackjack. I love to go to Vegas with my buddies. I love to go out to Kwame Casino. I, I just, I like to play blackjack. I would play it for no money. Like, I don't need the betting element of it. I just like playing blackjack. Mm-hmm. I like the numbers and seeing what comes out next. I love trying to find out what would have happened if the man playing or woman playing third base hadn't hit or had hit and how it would have changed the table. And if the cards had come out differently, I just... I love the game. I just I think it's a fascinating not like it just something about it appeals to the way my brain works. But if you play blackjack, you know like you got to keep that bet low when you're treading water or losing. And you just sort of try to tread for as long as possible until that big moment comes. And when the big moment comes, you get an opportunity to split three times in one hand and double one of them, right? You split eights against a six, and then you get a three, and you doubled your 11, and then you get another, and then you split it again, right? Those hands, when you get a chance to go all in, or when you've won two, three, four hands in a row, and you start increasing your bet each time, and all of a sudden, instead of $10 on the table, you've got 50, and then you got a double, or then you got a split, those are the moments that make your entire night, right? That's the moment that determines whether or not you go home with money in your pocket more than you showed up with or whether you go crawling back up to your hotel room sad knowing that you just wasted your entire night. Those are the moments, right? And I've been in both of those situations. Tragically, the latter more than the former, but such is life. The Mariners are in that moment right now where they're on their streak. They've got their double hand. They've got their split, whatever blackjack analogy you want to put to it. And I'm sure people who play other games could come up with another analogy for it as well. But that's the one that just sort of appeals to me and and, and the game that I've played for a long time. I got to tell you, this is good baseball. Oh, yeah. This is the way it's supposed to be played. And, and I realized last night, and I don't know whether anybody else has come to this realization or thought about it at all, that there was a time not very long ago. When a 0-0 game in the fifth inning felt like it was going to end the wrong way. Oh, yes. Right? You know you know what I'm talking about. You're watching the game. You've squandered an opportunity in the first. Julio gets thrown out at, at second trying to steal. Suarez strikes out. And you're just like, oh, this thing's over. Mm-hmm. That was their chance. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you. Maybe you didn't feel this way. Maybe it's just that you know halo effect of the last five wins. But I'm watching that game last night was undaunted, was absolutely confident that they were going to find a way to win that game. It honestly never really even dawned on me that they might lose it. Yeah, so some of the same feelings you had last year. Yep. And I and you can see that those same feelings are permeating their clubhouse. 
It's crazy. They made this deal at the deadline, only one deal. I mean, I guess they moved on from Pollock and Wong, but the big deal was to bring in Canzone and, and Rojas, and those guys haven't hit. They haven't really done much of anything. They have, what, three hits between them in the last week or so? They've not been a major factor in the Mariners doing what they're doing, and yet that seems to have sparked this team to play some of their best baseball. Maybe it's getting more athletic. Maybe it's just getting younger. Maybe it's moving on from some of the other guys that, you know, were not producing or maybe were unhappy or grumpy or whatever. Or maybe it is nothing but dumb freaking luck because it might be. It might have nothing to do with the trade deadline. Zero. Zero at all. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It just happened to coincide. It's just a big, fat coincidence. Entirely possible. Because this game, man, this game is strange. It really is. And I and I, I know that we should all learn every year not to try to figure this thing out, not to ascribe reason to a game that honestly has so much randomness to it. But that's kind of the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, but they they are doing a lot of the you talk about the blackjack hand and like splitting and these micro victories. You start stacking those. They are. But Justin, at the same time, Julio's made a base running gaffe in a big spot the other day. He gets thrown out yesterday. That was, I mean, it was just a stolen base or a uh, caught stealing. But, like, they're still making some of the same mistakes that they've made all year. I guess they're just not hurting them the same way. They're they're piling up more pros than cons in in those ways, right? Like, they're doing more things right than wrong. Like, there is no perfect way. You know what, to though? I think they were doing more right than wrong earlier. Sure. And then maybe that's your point. Well, but they, they weren't coming they, back. They weren't hitting. And and I would point to, we kept saying that like Suarez and Julio and Teoscar needed to get going. A, a guy that's shocked me that I think has been really important to this run is Tom Murphy. Tom Murphy. Huge. Th- throw Dylan Moore's name onto that list. He's had a really good uh, last couple of weeks, and Murphy's including yesterday, so he and Murphy combining for that second run. Absolutely. Throw Murphy's name on it. Throw Dylan Moore's name on it. JP again. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'm going to keep coming back to the same thing over and over again because I, I just truly at my core believe this team's problems in the first half of this year just stem from the fact that their guys, guys who've always done X, weren't doing it. And and throw Tom Murphy onto that list as well, more You bring him up. Murphy didn't have a good first half. It took him a while to get going. And now he is. Dylan Moore wasn't here, and then when he came back, he basically needed his own like spring training in the middle of the year. Now, all of a sudden, he's helping. Julio went through some rough patches. Now, all of a sudden, he looks like Julio again. And certainly what he's doing defensively all the way through is just awesome. And you saw it last night. It was just so much fun. What he did in center field, I don't think I've ever seen that. Not quite like that. I mean, you've seen robberies before. But I don't know that I've ever seen anybody wait as long as he did to show the ball afterwards. Pretty amazing. Straight away center. Julio gauging, looking, jumping. And he did not get it. Oh, he did get it. Oh, he did get it. (laughs) Oh, man, you want to talk about psych. Tatis went into his home run trot routine. He sure did. He was all the way around second base before Julio showed him the ball. (laughs) I mean, and it wasn't exactly a fast sprint all the way around. That dude was halfway to third before Julio showed him the ball. Like, uh uh, time to go back to the dugout. It's pretty good. And just again, give me the Felix and Beltre vibe of like, yeah, hey, we're both the best at this in different ways. 
I mean, I know they play similar positions, but he, he is fun. He is a unique, fun human being. And Maury, you're absolutely right. When we asked Passon about him, and Jeff's going to join us at 730 this morning, he called him a showman. You got to see a little of that showman element last yeah, night. that one on the head. Oh, yeah. He certainly has some of that. And, and he even got a laugh from the most serious guy on the field, Logan Gilbert. Yeah, that was awesome. That was probably the coolest thing I've actually been on the field for. And it's funny, it crossed my mind for a couple of seconds because I thought he caught it and I thought he was doing what he did. And then after like two seconds, I'm like, well, never mind. He would have shown it by now. And it felt like 10 or 20 seconds later out there, he finally shows it. And uh, it, it even got a laugh and smile for me out there, which is kind of hard to do. So um, it was pretty cool. Definitely happy he caught it. It sure was uh, just a, a bizarre and cool moment. And, you know, I, I don't I haven't I don't want to create a straw man and say that there are people who are mad at Julio for not playing the game the right way, because honestly, I've not heard that from one place, and I and I certainly Everyone hope on Twitter we last night was loving it. Of course, how could you not? I mean that that is just playing the game with a smile, respecting the game, but still playing it with joy, messing with the other team in a way that was friendly and not. I mean, just yeah, it, it, you would you would have told you would have been able to know if somebody in the other dugout was upset about it for sure, and it would have started with Tatis. And he started laughing because he and Julio are friends and he knew what had just happened to him. And, and, you know, he seemed like he started plotting a way to get back at him. He made a heck of a play <laughs> on that ball in right field on uh, on the Cal Raleigh a little bit later in the game. So really fun to win again for the Mariners last night. Blue Jays lose, which is great. So they're only two games back in wow. the wild card. One wow. game in the loss column, I know. But that wasn't even really the story of the game. As great as Julio was, as nice as it was to get a couple of hits and big moments, there was one story of this game and one story only. It's next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. First. Oh man, what an outing yesterday from Logan Gilbert. As good last night as I can remember. I know he had that dominant, complete game shutout on what was it, July 4th, but honestly, his stuff yesterday was as good as I can remember. He strikes out 12 in seven shutout innings. He allowed only an infield single. He was ridiculous. Gilbert stares home into the lineup. Here's a 3 2. Swing and a miss! An absolutely ridiculous slider. And it tears apart Juan Soto. It's the 12th strikeout tonight for Logan Gilbert. He has just set a new single-game career high. Yeah, he just was very unhittable. I mean, just the movement he had on all of his pitches. He had command of everything. He really just felt like he was at the peak of his powers. Really darn cool to watch. And it shows what all of his hard work does. Scott Service on one of his young stars. But really, the focus on getting better... It's what we are about. It's what you see play in day in, day out. Great players focus on getting better, and all of a sudden the results just take off because they're just like, what do I need to get 1% better? And I joke with Gino about it every day, but it's really true. I think that's what all the great players do. It's what Logan does. How do I get 1% better for my next start, for the next start? You keep building on that. You look up at the end of the year. I think he's one of the top right-handers in the league. Well, he certainly looked like it last night. And, you know, he got a little help. Dylan Moore, Tom Murphy, both had nice nights. Pretty good work from Brash and Munoz to finish it off. And 
you know, it's interesting contrasting the two teams last night, right? The super team that has struggled and the team that has now won six straight, eight of nine, 13 of 15. Logan Gilbert contrasting the team now with what they were earlier this season. Uh, it feels great. Like, we're rolling. Every, everything's just clicking. And, um, you know, it's it's not always like this. We saw earlier in the season. But I don't feel like things are that different. It's kind of what I've been saying the whole time is, we, I feel like we have the pieces. We have everything we need in here, and um, it's just a matter of everything clicking at the same time. Sometimes earlier we'd hit great and not pitch great or vice versa, but right now it feels like everybody's doing their job and just bouncing off each other. Yeah, what a night. What a night for Logan Gilbert. Rangers win last night, unfortunately, in Oakland. Blue Jays lose, so the Mariners still six and a half back in the division, but only two behind in the wild card, only one in the loss column, so they are right in the thick of it. Here's the second thing you need to know. We talk about that Mariner rotation that's really been the foundation for this team. It's going to have yet another transition this time. It's Brian Wu who exits with a sore forearm. Don't like that. He goes to the IL yesterday. Is it serious? Don't know yet. Look, you never want to hear about forearms because unfortunately, oftentimes when they say forearm, what it really means is elbow. And then eventually you end up seeing Tommy John surgery. So, it could be something that turns into something a whole lot worse. The hope here and some of the conversations I had yesterday is that they're being extra cautious as he's trying to bounce back rather than make this a precursor to a bigger, excuse me, a bigger problem. He's going to miss two or three starts that we know 15 days off. Maybe they were going to do that anyway. They did want to kind of get him some rest. So I think they're being overly cautious. But at the same time, forearms are never a good sign. So we'll see what direction this ends up going. In his place, we'll get our first look at first-round pick Emerson Hancock. And he could stop me if you've heard this one before. Tall right-hander, throws two different fastballs, sits mid to high 90s, a couple of breaking pitches with excellent command. Sound like, you know, everybody else on this roster. It's just amazing how many dudes they have that are very similar. Shannon Dreyer uh, yesterday talking about his changeup as the pitch that really has helped him. He had a nice spring training and opened up eyes, performed a little bit better, I think, than some expected. Has proved to be, you know, durable. He's, he's made his starts in the minor leagues this year. Has a, a really nice changeup, a plus-plus changeup. Going to pitch with the fastball, the changeup slider. And has uh, had a nice string of outings. He had a little uh, string of four games coming into this call-up, which we are anticipating tomorrow, where he gave up one or fewer, actually three of the games. He didn't give up a run, but then had one game in the middle of that where he gave up nine runs and an inning and two-thirds. And you see that from time to time in um, in the minors. But I think he is somebody that we expected to see at some point and actually probably expected to see in the middle of August to help kind of alleviate some of the innings on the other young ones here. Well, that's exactly what happens. He is uh, up and, and was up there yesterday in the dugout throughout the morning or throughout the afternoon. And I, I assume can't be in there during the game, but was nearby. So uh, he will be called up today to make the start. Matt Festa DFA'd after a season in which he never really got on track to Ryder Ryan is uh, going to get a game here in the big leagues last night before Hancock activated today. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, injuries starting to mount at Seahawks camp. Nothing overly concerning yet, but Devin Witherspoon, D. Eskridge, Damian Lewis, Ken Walker, Joey Blunt, all missing practice yesterday. So, you know, throw Derek Young on that list, who's been out for a little while. Plus, you got the guys on pop. 
That's a pretty hefty number of, of dudes who were not able to go. The missing receivers did give Jake Bobo a chance with the ones, which is kind of exciting. Maybe a sign that he's got a realistic chance to make this team. And we'll get a chance, I would assume, to see him tomorrow night. Our first look at this team in game action. Uh, Minnesota will be in for the first of three preseason matchups. Derek Hall, who we spoke to yesterday, has not quite allowed himself to put himself in that spot yet. That I have not. Um, I'm looking forward to that moment, but it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a sense to where, like, I don't want to rest that um, because I know it's going to be really, really freaking special. Um, you know, to be able to have the opportunity to put on one, a Seahawks uniform with all the legends that's, that's played here uh, b- b- before me, but also just being have opportunity to suit up in the NFL, man. Not, not many people get the opportunity to do that. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's going to be a special, special moment for me uh, that night to be able to go out and, you know, just play in battle and, uh, you know, see what I can do, you know, see what I'm capable of, of, of against the best of the best. So, I'm, I mean, I'm just really looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. And certainly the way Mark Schlereth talked about Derek Hall yesterday has me looking forward to watching that guy as well. That is everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Sulk show. Do you get a bad vibe of the Brian Lou thing? Or are you just trying to project, say that just so it? Uh... No, I, I don't have a bad vibe at all. Quite frankly, the opposite. I mean, like, you know, talking to people down there yesterday, it was like, hey, he came out of his start. He went to his next throwing. You know, they have their two days later where they, they throw a bullpen and he just didn't feel quite as lively as normal. So they say, hey, let's shut it down. No reason to be you know, at all push a, a player his age and with his history, et cetera. So, yes, yeah. overly cautious. On the other hand, it's a it's a forearm. Yeah. And we've seen this movie too many times to think that a forearm is always just a forearm because the forearm is connected to that UCL, which is exactly where they do Tommy John. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it's going to mean anything serious. I'm telling you, it's unlikely to. But every time you hear that that part of the body with a pitcher, you have to at least prepare yourself for the worst case scenario. And that's what it is. In the meantime, you know, Emerson Hancock's exactly like the other guys. Yeah. I, just, I saw uh, Luke Arkin's tweet last night about the amount of innings he has thrown from college all the way to professionals. And it's like he's almost he's approaching double. Right. Most of these. Yeah. It's probably time for this to happen. So if they have an opportunity to put him on the I.L. for a little while, I don't blame them. It's exactly what they should do. All right. Uh, I mentioned uh, Mark Schlereth. He joined us yesterday and it was a wild ride. If you are not fully in yet, if you're not fully excited for this Seahawks season, I want you to just like hang out for the next half hour and listen to Schlereth because I promise when it's done, you're going to feel very, very good about where this team is going. Sprock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, SeattleSports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, Brock, this is a treat and uh, somewhat unexpected. Normally, Jeff Passon joins us at 8.30 on Tuesdays. Our apologies as Jeff's still a little under the weather uh, after the injury. He broke his back. I don't he know if you all know back. that. A tree limb fell on him, Schlereth, and he broke uh, his back. That's, yeah, that's I was making fun of him, too. Like, oh, he's a little under the weather. No, no. What happened? No, he he's broke like, his back. no, no, his back is broken. Yeah. Like, oh, spinal. He had a, he had a yeah, tree. spinal. <laughs> Mike Tyson. My back is broke. <laughs> So Mark Schlereth, who was in our building uh, this morning doing some work uh, because he was at Seahawks yesterday. You're going to do their third preseason game. Is that yes, right? That's yeah, that's what they they which is it's really cool. Like I love I love the relational aspect. And, and Brock will tell you this calling games, meeting coaches, sitting, talking to players and 
I love that relational aspect and, and how that builds. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm just sitting at home and, and you know, I get a, a text from Dave Pearson. Hey, can we talk? Yeah, sure. Of course. Hey man, would you be willing to come See, out? See, usually for a we days? get that text, and I just yeah. assume we've said something wrong. No, right? no, no. Right. trouble. No, I didn't get your text. I don't know what you're talking right. about. Yeah, I didn't no, I, just, I, 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 got, I got a but, blocker on my <laughs> right, but it was button. yeah, but it was it was awesome, you know. So this free reign of of the organization and come in and and you know get to watch practice and mingle around and talk to players and talk to coaches and it was um, it was great and it's really cool to have that access. It's really cool to see. To see culture and to see how things are done in different places, you know, I'm at a, I'm on a facility every Friday calling games for Fox, and to watch the different way teams are structured and how they practice and how they go about their business and um and I think I think this culture and and what Pete Carroll has created here in Seattle, I, I just think it's as good as any that I've watched and that I've witnessed. You know, it's interesting, Mark, is Salk and I, one of the weeks we love and have loved for 14 years, and it's actually where we met and, and hung out for the first time before we were even on the air, is spring training with the Mariners uh-huh. for the same reason. We get to be down there. We're embedded with for with a, you know, for, with a week there, and uh-huh. our table's right outside their clubhouse, and we hear the spikes, and we watch the bullpens, and, and it all reminds me, like, hey, man. This is not the regular season. Like, this is the best time to get these guys. You see the secret sauce. You see what goes into it. And I'm going to imagine it's one thing in the regular season to come out on a Friday when they're mm-hmm. grinding, when they're, you know, game planning. And it's quite another when you talk about experience at all in training camp. Is it a different if you, if you witness? I know it was just one day or right. another day today, but do you witness and see something maybe a little different than even your previous experiences during the regular season? Uh, a little bit because of obviously because of the training camp situation and, you know, it's not a Friday practice, but the energy, the tempo, like the tempo of practice and the energy of practice is palpable. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, culture is, is alive, right? It's not, it, it's not static. It's constantly moving, and you've constantly got to be working on it, and and it's constantly got to be something that is addressed every day. A lot of a lot of organizations will put a, you know, they'll, they'll put a, a a here's our company culture. You know, they'll they'll put it in a pamphlet, right, and it'll say whatever it says, and then they never look at it again. And and that's not how it works there in Seattle. And I I said this just kind of watching it go down. I was saying on my radio show in Denver today. I was like, you know, the thing that really resonated with me is they are flying around, they're hitting each other, they're making plays, they're hooping it up, they're getting excited about it, they are working exceptionally hard without even knowing they're working hard. Mm-hmm. Like the competition aspect of it and what they're doing, it's it's one of those things where at the end of practice, you just spent two hours and it felt like 15 minutes. You know, it's like a, it's like watching a great movie. And you're almost disappointed when it's over. Like those players don't even know yeah. that they're putting out that kind of effort. It's like you were in the weight so room yesterday. I mean, with 135 pound dumbbells, you're like throwing them around. You don't even know, dude. Yeah, you don't even know how hard you're working, and others are just watching you. Like, who is this madman? Yeah, the Seahawks were. I, a couple of guys walked through there, and I know they thought they just signed an old dude. Like they were like, <laughs> did we just sign an old dude to come in here and open a can of whoop ass on us? Like, but. The, yeah, it was what I did yesterday. Wow, was like borderline right. amazing. All right, hold on. It was borderline amazing. Mark, we can sit here and talk about the Seahawks and their culture, and I love the analogy. Actually, right. we played that cut earlier today. I said it was like covering practice in chocolate, like it's a, like a chocolate practice pill. Uh huh. But come on, 
Can we go back a year? How in the world no, did we get here? No, we're not going to do this, Mike. No, Brock. We <laughs> can Mike, pretend Mike. everything's fine. We can't. Mark's our friend. We're I not going to do this. I'm not, not going to play him the sound from last year or anything like that. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Okay, good. Is this the craziest sports story ever? I don't know about the craziest sports story right. ever, but you guys. Most unanticipated. I mean, like, yeah. watching what you guys were thinking when Russell Wilson came. And the billboards and everything else to where we are a year and a half later. Right. This is not a drill. It, it is absolutely. Zach Bai said on their station. So yes. this is not a, a drill. drill. Yes. I it's, am telling you right now. It's it's shocking. It, it really it, is. It is. Like the it's the amazing. level the level of secret, like the level the secret society that you guys are involved in here that sold us a faulty bill of goods. <laughs> I call it the curse of Russ. So not only did we like we get a quarterback that like may have it may have been the worst performance of any quarterback in the history of the National Football League last year that you sent us. The normal rainfall in Denver is 14 inches a year. We got 15 inches of rain in June. In Ju- so you sent us a faulty quarterback and your weather. We got both. We got both your weather and a faulty quarterback. The curse of Russ is wi- it's real. It's like the curse of the Bambino. It's like it, what's we're going through right now. Is y'all ought to be ashamed. And then every like every freaking draft pick you guys take. Oh, here's another Pro Bowler. Oh, we got two tackles, rookies. Oh, great. Let's take. Oh, we got a Tyreek Woolen. Oh, Pro Bowler in the fifth round. We'll take it. Oh, like. Every guy you guys took, and right now you got—I mean, you've got the kid that plays the uh, corner out there. That's you know, you got Smith and Jigba, who's just killing it right now. Route runner. You got this kid Hall, who was a freaking beast in people yesterday for the second rounder from Auburn. I mean, dude, every guy you got is like every dude. It just is like we hate you. We Seattle, we hate yeah. you, well, Denver. Yeah. I mean, it's a, kind of a sports hate. So the there's a love. Kraken kind of beat the Avs this right. year. Oh, That's oh, right. Oh. Don't, I didn't even think about the Kraken. Just yeah. we were joking around all oh, the Kraken. Right. You know, they're kind of they're an expansion team. <laughs> Good luck beating our Avs, and then <laughs> it's just it, again that's Russ's fault. All right. So so does anybody? Does it change anybody's view on Pete? That was the question that I had a lot over the course of last mm. year. Because I was I was kind of on the Team Pete thing as he and Russ were breaking up. Yeah. And there was a lot of conversation. Hey, look, if Russ goes away, goes to Denver, lights it up, 5,000 yards, makes the playoffs, it's unbelievable, Pete's going to look bad. He's going to look like he wasted the last few years of Russell Wilson's career by not opening it up to let Russ cook or whatever phrase you want to throw yeah. on it. When the opposite happened and Russell completely fell flat on his face, does it show that Pete maybe was the one who understood most how to get the best out of Russell Wilson? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. And I think that has, I think that national narrative has changed. I mean, even I was on Colin Cowherd the other day. I heard him talking about it and, you know, and, and, yeah, I think it's I think it's changed. I think people felt like, you know, Russ was being held back and ultimately, and this is why I think, that Russell have a, a bit of a bounce back year this year, and I think that um, Sean Payton was the only guy you could hire to do this is because um, you've got to. I, I think one of Sean Payton's biggest attributes uh, in talking to him about game planning and doing some things is, you know, it's one thing for young coaches to attack a weakness. You know, everybody sees a weakness on the defense offensively, and you want to attack that weakness. 
Um, oftentimes, what will happen when you're attacking a weakness is you expose one of your own weaknesses. And young coaches would be like, yeah, but we just got to hold up there, right? If we just hold up there, like we're going to get a touchdown over here. And the next thing you know, it's a critical part of the game. And it's strip sack, fumble, touchdown the other way. You lose by three. And, and that's what happens to young coaches who haven't learned their lesson. And when I've talked to Pete Carroll, or it's not Pete, but when I've talked to Sean Payton about game planning, he's like, my first priority is always to mitigate my own weaknesses. I'm not going to put a player in a position to do something. Like if I put a player in a position to do something that's going to, that he's going to struggle with, then I'm the dumbass that put him there. Like when he struggles. So like I'm going to mitigate my own weaknesses first. I'm going to make sure that I put my players in a position to win. If you look through, I mean, you know, Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill is a more athletic Tim Tebow, seven and two in the nine games that he started. Teddy Bridgewater, a limited guy, comes in for Drew Brees, 5-0 and in the games he started. I had a long conversation with Sean about Jameis Winston. When they got Jameis Winston, 30 picks, 9 you know, fumbles lost, 39 total picks. A lot of dirty fingerprints on 30 picks. Mm. And, and Sean says, I'm just not going to put him in that position. Starts seven games, goes 5-2, and two, 14 touchdowns, 3 picks. So... There, you have to understand what your players' you know strengths are, and how to put him in a position to have the. But more importantly, what your players' weaknesses are, and how you hide does, them and mitigate. Your them. player have to understand those things at some point too, though, and be willing to accept them. Well, you would hope. <laughs> you you would hope. He is Mark Schlereth. I think I, I can say this confidently. Salk would, in a heartbeat, sub me out for Schlereth. I don't know what? how many. No, I think you would. I think. No. It, yeah. No, no way. I, 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 I love Mark, and and I've hosted shows with Mark yeah, on uh-huh, the network in the past. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I think you would. Mark and I would talk too much. I wouldn't get to say enough. <laughs> Mark's got so many great stories that I'd have to just sit here and listen the whole time. You, your stories are okay. I mean, uh-huh. like backup quarterback stories are all right. Right, right, you know, Pro Bowl or Super and Bowl. I'll still nod. I mean, and I'll nod along right. with you. Yeah, no, not that's enough true. airspace for me. Okay, Steak, perfect. You you teed it up perfectly. And I know it was one practice. It will be two today. You'll call the game in Green mm-hmm. Bay. But I guarantee you, there were a lot of Seahawks fans listening to everything you just said and went, "Okay, hold on a second. So last year, the Seahawks team, Geno broke records. They were efficient offensively. Mm-hmm. They were top ten in explosive plays. They add Smith and Jigba, get everybody else back. But man, defensively." their biggest weakness is they couldn't stop the run. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, KJ Wright comes in for an hour. That's another guy Salk would send me for. Comes in for an hour every Wednesday and he's awesome. And, you know, we and he's in depth and he knows scheme and he's right there, so present, even with the personnel that he played with there, right? And coaches he knows inside and out. And he'd be so frustrated and we'd all be frustrated. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the run. Fought four point nine yards a carry. Bottom five in the league last year, Mark. So was it last year as you d- covered their games, uh-huh. now that you're out there watching it, now you see the acquisitions they have made to try to address it, do you think Bobby, Devin, Dre, Jaron, their scheme, tweaks, changes, do you think they'll have an ability this season to stop the run, their biggest weakness from a year ago? I think they'll be much better, Brock. And I think one of the things that – the first thing you looked at with Al Woods and Puna Ford and the guys they had playing last year, you had – a three nose guards playing in your 3-4 scheme, right? And and the issue that you get into is 
you're a, a three four reduction front. So if you slide a defensive end down over the guard on the weak side, we call that a thirty five front. If you slide a defensive end down over the guard on the strong side, that's a thirty seven front. Strong side being where the tight end is. Right, exactly. And so what ends up happening to you is teams can dictate if they want to run against that 35 or want to run against that 37 front based upon your personnel. And one of the things that, like, you look at the 49ers would get you into a 35 front, then motion a tight end across, like, a quick motion. And now you've got, you know, Daryl Taylor locked up with Trent Williams. Like, that's a mismatch. And then you've got guys, even if he sets an edge and does a good job setting an edge, you've got guys on the inside that aren't getting off blocks. So... Like yeah. their their gap assignment, but bottom line to me is, even if you have the proper gap assignment, you're not you're not athletically getting down the line of scrimmage and getting off of blocks. So just the fact that you turn out depth may be an issue. I, I think that would be like I've, I've watched um, Draymond Jones in Denver. Draymond Jones is. Not only a really good player, but he's a good run defender. Is he? Because yeah. when I see him, this has been my question, and I'm psyched for Draymond Jones. He's the biggest free agent acquisition I think they've made. They've ever made. Ever. Yeah. But he looks like a defensive end when I see him. I mean, just size-wise. Right. Can he stop the run? Can he be stout? Or I think or? he's way. I think he's way better. He's great, like good hands, plays with leverage, stacks guys, but he gets off blocks. And not only that, last year there was a game, and I think it was against Jacksonville, where they actually moved him to stand up outside linebacker. And he played the entirety of the game out there and was tremendous. Mm -hmm. Like, just tremendous out there. So he's a guy that has the ability. Now, like like we talked about Hall, like he's just that dude – I mean, you want to talk about his his ass starts at his shoulder blades. Like it's just like I was watching him. I was like, "Holy Moses!" Well, he's also got his shorts tucked up into the shorts. Yeah, but I'm like, he reminded me. You know what? You always get these comparisons. He reminded me of when I played with with. uh, um, Oh shoot! I just lost his name all of a sudden. Linebacker when I was, was with Carl Washington. Banks. Oh, Wilbur Marshall. Oh, it's funny. Oh. I said Carl Banks. Wil- yeah. Whoa. I did play I with Carl. Like Wilbur Marshall. Wilbur, like he has that kind of, those kind of legs and ass. I'm just like, <laughs> dude, what he was doing, some of the offensive linemen, there are people spending five to ten in the state pen that did less to get there than what he did to a couple of the offensive linemen yesterday. Well, I was just like, oh, man, it made me glad I wasn't playing, bro. And boy, I'm off not that different. I mean, like, he, yeah. he's another dude built like a Greek god on the other side. Yeah. So yeah. they've got and, and Nuas, who's a, a really good player. I I just think they're going to be, I think they're going to be so much more active than they than they were. Like last year, they were so much more stagnant yep. without their ability to get off blocks. So I think they'll just improve. Uh, they'll just improve from that. See, aspect I want to be I want to be so excited now, but I just I keep flashing back to that you know crosstalk we did with you and Mike last year and how excited you were about Russ. And it's like hard for me to take this yeah. as seriously as I used to. Yeah, I know. I did, but listen. <laughs> Listen, I got you got fooled. Like the credit, credit you guys, credit we you know, credit to tell the you. Seahawks, credit you know, all you Seahawk fans who lied to us in Denver. You guys, you, you all should be ashamed. Yes, and in uh, you know, I would, I would, I would accept an apology letter from everybody. <laughs> 
in the 206. Like everybody, if everybody like signed an apology, like like a, what do you pass those things around? A those petition. Uh, petition, yeah, petition. an apology petition. Yes, would I would petition. accept that? That's nice oh. of you. Yeah, that's very, very, <laughs> thank you, very magnanimous <laughs> of you to say yes to that. Yeah, I appreciate every, that. Every once in a while, Schlereth, my mouth will run, and I can't. What's what's the line about signing cash and checks or something like yeah. that? My, yeah, yeah, I got a problem with that, and I'll say things, and then Salk will challenge me, rightfully so. We were talking about these two offensive tackles for the Seahawks, and, and this is your wheelhouse, baby. Uh-huh. This is what you were, man. You were a hog, and then you were a Super Bowl champ, and you love O-line play as much as anybody I know. So Salk and I were in the offseason and building up to the season. We're talking about Cross and Lucas, and I said something along the lines of they could be one of the best tackle tandems certainly mm-hmm. the Seahawks have ever had. Sure. I mean, Walter's one of the best to ever do it. Locklear was a good player. Other guys filled in. But, you know, these two coming in together last year was like the first time in 30 years, Stink, the two rookie tackles bookend started the entire season for an NFL club as rookies. And I thought, man, if they can continue to build, what is their upside? Who are some of the best tackle tandems that you have ever seen in the NFL? And certainly did any of them start their journeys together? Yeah. Now, I don't know that they've started like, you know, we had in – in Denver, we had, uh, or excuse me, in Washington, we had Jimmy Lachey and Joe Jacoby. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty formidable, you know, tandem there. Yeah. Uh, in Denver, there was one year where we had Gary Zimmerman and Tony Jones. Um, and, you know, Gary Zimmerman, all decade of the 80s and 90s, and Tony Jones, a pro bowler and really good, really good player. Um, but not coming in together, Brock. You yeah. just don't see two guys. Like, I was shocked when they decided they were going to start two rookies, and this is the way it's going to go. And I think, you know, I think Cross is is incredibly, like, gifted talent-wise. You know, and, and like all young players, a bit raw. But mm-hmm. both these guys, like, the sky's the limit. And um, and Lucas was Lucas is a guy that, to me, is, is really – like it is really gets the most out of everything that he's been blessed with, but kind of he seems like a smart. I talked to him a little bit yesterday. Smart, cerebral, very to the point, no wasted. Like I can always tell a, a guy gets football when uh, on the offensive line when you know where your help is, you understand where your leverage is, you, and, and there's no wasted moment movement. Like your sets are just pure because you know exactly where you want what I used to call funneling my guy. I mean like defensive players, let's face it, we're on offensive uh, offensive show. Defensive players are dumb. And and the thing that if you give defensive <laughs> players like if you give them an alley, they're going to take it cuz they're dumb. They're just Ooh! Alley, right? And then you funnel them into a back that's got a release from the B gap on a burst, you know, and you're like, you moron. You fell for the banana in the tailpipe. Again. And again. You know, and you could do it yeah, multiple times a game. And that's what Lucas reminds me of. He just is, is using the stupidity of the defense against them. Did you say this yesterday with Wyman? No, Wyman is very nervous because I come on and say a lot of things that you like Wyman always tells me this is not the wild west. And so I think I've gotten Wyman and Bob sent to the principal's office no. on multiple occasions. Yeah. They're like uh-huh. you need to control him a little bit more because mm-hmm. I say some things that you know like I can say on my radio show. Right. Right, uh, in Denver, because they're just, it's like, oh, stink, he's, oh, you know, 
We've already made those. Yeah, that whole line about the buttocks starting at the scapula. That yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so we, you know, they, they just are like, ah, it stank. You know, he's been hitting the head a lot. We'll let it slide. You know, and nobody really complains anymore. But here, I think Bob and and Wyman get yeah. sent to the principal's office on occasion. Last question for me, Stink. Before you got to run down there, is this a playoff team? As you look at the personnel, as you study them, I know you'll have a better feel in a couple weeks right. watching games and everything else. And I love what you say on your local show, and you say this all the time. This isn't about 22 guys. Playoff teams are about 44. It's about your ones and your twos. As you look at this roster and you watched them compete yesterday and today and into the preseason, does this look like a playoff team to your eyes? Yeah, I think defensively you look at you know Bobby being back. You look at the back end. I think that back end is as talented as any back end uh, on a defense that I've – like this This is – Deeper than the Legion of Boom, and I know that's sacrilege here, but they've got, they have just got dudes. Woolen is a dude. Michael Jackson played great. Trey Brown is great. You know, you feel um, more like your no fly zone, to be honest with you. Yeah. They, they've just got, they have got, and then I, I will tell you, man, covering Julian Love for the Giants, Julian Love's a football playing Jesse. Man, that dude can play. And, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, if Jamal, take your time coming back. And if you come back, you're going to play, you know, you're going to play weak side linebacker for us like that. Like just that's kind of where they are. So they've got depth. The the depth on the defensive line scares me a little bit. Yeah. I don't know that they've got enough depth there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the running back with the help of the running backs and, um, you know, Charbonneau coming back and he looks good coming back. But. Uh, yeah, I think offensively they'll be good. I think they're yeah, I think they're a playoff team. I think it's a two horse race between them and San Francisco to win this division. It'd be pretty interesting, Mark. Uh, I'll just close with this since I was making fun of you for a while. I'll say something nice to okay. finish, which is not like me, but no. I tell this to Brock all the time. I love you as a color commentator. Absolutely Thank love you. it. Thank it you. is you are in the vein. There are a lot of different strategies of how to approach that job, and I feel like you're in some ways in the Phil Sims vein, which is a compliment for me. Guys who are just hanging out with me watching the game. And I love it. I love that style. And I learned a little something along the way. But I like just... He likes your style more than mine. Again, why he would trade in a heartbeat. Brock's Brock's a teacher. Brock is very teachy. He'll teach you a lot during the game. You know, I already know so much about the game (laughs) that I don't necessarily need what Brock's telling me. I just want someone like Mark to hang out with me during the game. this guy could just shut up, I already know all that. So Uh, I can just enjoy the game. When you know as much as I do, Mark, you're kind of in a different position. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you understand. I'm sure you all do. I mean, you know, when you know this much about football. Wow. Yeah. Brock is Brock's just a lot. I mean, he's right? well, he's for people like you, you know, who don't know as much about the game as opposed to people like me who really, truly understand the depth of football, having played it at such a high elite level. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Brock will be in next to teach us something. I don't know what we'll find out. It's Brock and Salk Sales Sports on 710 salesports.com.